Welcome to the Joy in Morning podcast, where we talk about finding joy in the everyday small things that propel us forward to live out life through the midst of grief, loss, and tragedy. And no, you are not alone. Matthew 11:28 says, Come to me, all that are weary, and I will give you rest. Now, here's your host, Lisa Smith. So hello, my friends, and welcome back. I'm just so excited for today for our guests, and she's going to tell you a little bit more about her, but we are so glad that you can join us. And one of the things that I really have come to do and want to really share on this podcast is stories, stories about people that have gone through grief, loss, and tragedy. So my girl today, and Trish, I was just actually thinking about this because we first met, was in our divas? Yes. Yes. It okay. was in the divas club. And I was actually thinking about that too, because I was like, how would I even get in that club? And it's because I met Sheila in the bathroom. So be right. always be willing to talk to a lady in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, because for our listeners out there, the divas, it was just really cool because when I lived down in Florida, we actually we truly believe in lifting and empowering other women in mm-hmm. the industry of network marketing or direct sales. Right. And Trish and I went to this same event. And that's how I got to know her. She's a beautiful, beautiful lady that loves Mary Kay. She's did that. And that's how I met her. And I was, I think I was promoting something else when we met, but now of course I'm in another network marketing mm-hmm. company, but it's all great. And of course, and then once we got, once we got to know each other, it was like, oh yeah, oh, nothing yeah. holding us back. And nothing at all. Yeah. And then we both, of course, go to the same church, Christ Fellowship. Mm-hmm. And then of mm-hmm. course, when I had moved a couple of years ago up here to North Carolina is where I reside now. It was just so funny with Trisha and I, I, I had asked her and asked her to pray about being a guest on our podcast. And we just, the other day we decided to kind of just get on a Zoom together and kind of catch up. And we were on there for five hours. <laughs> and it was so great because that's what's so great about right. Trish and I. We could just catch up. And she's going to give you a little bit more about her background. Mm-hmm. So, Trish, yeah, give me some, give us a little bit about your background. And then I'm going to mm-hmm. give you a couple of questions to give the listeners to kind of get to know you a little more. All right. Perfect. Perfect. So, yeah, Lisa's right. When her and I get together, it can be five hours and more. If the day allows itself, it would be more because that's the kind of relationship we have. So Lisa, thank you for always being my friend. I cannot even tell people. Now, she says it's because of like how maybe I am, but it's because of how she is. Lisa's one of those kindest people you'll ever meet and she just makes you better. So if you don't have a Lisa in your life, get you a Lisa. Mine's already taken, but get you a Lisa. So but I am Trisha Barrett and I'm a wife, I'm a mom, I'm a lover of Jesus. And I, by profession, I'm a clinical social worker. That's what I studied. I did therapy, counseling for many, many years, worked in foster care, for-profit, non-profit, did those kind of things. And then I, I was faced with a breast cancer diagnosis and then not wanting to have to go back to work. Really after that, I decided to just be an independent contractor. So now I'm an independent clinical 
social worker, clinical consultant, and I just help people. I help people with whatever they need help with. So I have clients that run timing companies for marathons. I work with um, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I worked with other nonprofits. But the beautiful thing is that one year, I think it was 2019, you know, on my vision board, I asked the Lord, just how, how can I use all my skill, talents, abilities to just serve him, to serve him? So, so I'm fortunate enough that 99.9% of the organizations I work with are faith-based Christian organizations. And so no matter how I'm helping people, the end result is for those people to share the gospel of Christ. So there's that. And then through my cancer journey, I met a group of ladies that was a faith-based organization that were that was praying for people going through cancer, which is Pray in Pink. And now I actually have the honor and the privilege of serving as their board president going into this year to really help take that organization to the next level. So, so yeah, so I'm down here still in Miami, braving this winter of 60 degrees. It's freezing here today. <laughs> So thanks for having me, Lisa. It's my pleasure, really. I just, I'm just so excited for what we're going to talk about. So Trish, how did you come to know the Lord? Well, let me tell you. So I lived in Maryland and there was a church that used to come to our apartment complex and they would bring, you know, this little puppet show which of course, though, they lured us with like juice and cookies. So <laughs> of course your girl was like, I'll take the cookies. Thank you, strangers. You know, your parents say you don't talk to strangers, but I'm like, but they had juice and cookies. And they did this whole puppet show, you know, about being a sinner and needing Jesus and he died for you. And they said that one day they were going to have the church bus come to the community to pick us up because they were going to have family day at their church. And then that way we could bring our parents. And my brother and I, we were super excited to go to the church because we'd only seen the little puppet show. And we told our mom, who actually was working overnight as a home health aide at the time. So she would actually get home on a Sunday morning at seven. And I'm like, mom, they're going to be here at nine o'clock. And and I don't know, because when kids are persistent, my mom gave in because she grew up Catholic and we did the Catholic thing for a little while. And she, we really didn't have a church that we we're going to in Maryland. So she was like, they're going to pick me up. Might as well go. So we went, my, we got on the bus that day. My mom gave her life to Christ that day at the church that used to do the puppet show in the parking lot. And then a few weeks later, one day. I was there and the pastor was talking to about like, you know, you need your sins forgiven and Jesus died for you. And then he started listing some sins, like, you know, if you're lying and stealing. And I was like, I'm a thief because the day before that Saturday, I'd actually stolen some Hello Kitty stickers from Kmart. And they were even in my little purse that I was sitting in church in. But when he said, like, you know, if you're a thief and a liar, like Jesus wants to forgive you for your sins. And your girl broke down crying, gave my mom the Hello Kitty stickers and walked down with my hands up like, I need my sin forgiven. It was like a Lifetime movie or something. So, yeah, and that was and that was it. And and we came to Christ and and I have just been learning and growing and in this relationship with Jesus ever since. And I think I might have been about nine years old. Wow. Maybe nine years old. Yeah. But it yeah. wasn't. Yeah. So it, it was intense. And it was that whole thing. Like when I'm coming down the aisle, the pastor's like, suffer the little children to come. Like, let the children come. And I'm like, yes, child, let the, let the child come. So, but yeah, so That's I gave my life to Christ. And then it's, and I've, I haven't looked back. I haven't looked back. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So was there a fun fact about your childhood? Our so, listeners would like to know. Yes. And they will probably be like, what? But so a fun fact about me is that I'm not from America. 
So I was originally, I'm a born in St. Andrew, Jamaica, and that's where I'm from. So yes, I came here. I came back and forth a little bit as a kid when my parents would come here to work to make extra money to take back home. But, and then, right, I think around eight years old is when I got my U.S. residency. And yeah, and I've been here. I've been here ever since. So, so I'm not originally American. And most people, especially too, when I say I'm Jamaican, they're like, really? But I'm like, yes, trust me for real. I'm really from Jamaica. And every now and then I'll try to, every now and then you'll hear like the accent kind of slip out a little, but I don't know. I'm so professional all the time. (laughs) You know, the clinical social worker and doing trainings and different things. And I've had to learn to articulate well. So yeah. But every now and then you, you might, if you listen really closely, listeners, you'll hear it. You'll hear it if you listen closely. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's so great. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Trish, is this is for our listeners, you know, the other night when we were talking and right. uh, there's, and now I didn't even realize that we have two things in common that we mm-hmm. really, we were, we were really talking about. And I just really wanted to share this with the listeners because I thought it was so important, you know, cause we, of course we cried a little and it's right. always so awesome to bring back thoughts of losing someone or losing mm-hmm. a thing. And I just thought this is, of course we, we share, you have a, your husband's mom has Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, my mom has dementia. Mm-hmm. And then we we both lost our fathers. Right. And we right. were both talking about that because it was it was so surreal because both of us never really got closure on right. our dads. Right. I got right. the call when I was in Florida. He lived in North Carolina. And I just remember falling to the ground. I was so devastated because on our podcast before, my both my children had spoke about what grandpa meant in their life to them. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. really the first time that they were really experienced any kind of grieving. Mm-hmm. And, and so for you too. So just let let tell your our listeners a little bit about the loss of your father. Right. Yeah. So the loss of my dad, my dad's name is David, David Ezra Wave, very unique Jamaican name there. But so my dad and I, we're we're pretty cool, right? Like my dad is a very laid back type of guy, fun, loving, loves the world, loves to laugh, loves to tell stories. He would have been been a great guest on the podcast. He loves to tell stories, very animated kind of guy, but also an intellectual. My, even when I was a teenager, like my dad and I could like sit and talk about like the things of the world, things going on, you know, in the world, whatever. And and he dealt with alcoholism. So through most of a lot of my childhood, honestly, through the death of his own mother, when his mom died and he wasn't able to be in Jamaica for that, that really put him in a, in a depression. And so there were some years, like in my early 20s, that my dad and I didn't speak to each other. And then just the way God works, right? It was one of those things to like, we can't think that we're serving God when we have unforgiveness in our heart. We can't think that we're serving Christ and, and we have these, these grudges or these things between us and our parents, our siblings, whatever the case is. So my dad and I didn't talk for, for several years, but then again, you know, God just put it on my heart to reconcile with him. At the time I was like a disability rep and I was helping people get disability awards. And I'm talking like $10,000, $20,000 disability awards and things like that. And and I didn't know that my dad was disabled. And then, you know, a friend of our family had mentioned it. And I just kind of like let it wash over me like, oh, well, yeah, too bad for him. Until literally one day at work, the Holy Spirit was like, right, you're helping strangers and your father 
needs you. So I had reached out to him to do, and I said, listen, so-and-so told me that you're dealing with some disability and you can't work anymore. You know, tell me about it. And I'm going to tell you, so my record at that time was getting people their disability in about three to six months. So average four months time. And when I took my dad's case, my dad was awarded conditional disability in two weeks. Like that has never happened there's not a disability attorney, a disability rep that will ever tell you that they ever got one cent. And I'm saying like, and he was not, this is, he didn't have any terminal illness because they do like compassionate allowance that the person has like terminal cancer or something, right? They'll start paying out immediately. That wasn't his case. Yes, he, he was actually, you know, disabled, but two weeks, they just started. <laughs> and conditional means like we haven't even really gone through your record yet, but we're going to go ahead and start paying you. And then if we find out you're not disabled, don't worry, we'll just, you know, turn it off and you don't have to pay the money back. And if you do, it'll keep going. And in 30 days, my dad's whole application was done, approved, full benefits back. I was like, what? I was like, all right, Lord. (laughs) So clearly God was just at work with everything. So, and so my dad and I, we, we just, we reconciled. There were things that he didn't even remember doing to the family because the alcohol or whatever, but God just literally took those scales off of his eyes. I was able to pray with my dad to rededicate his life to the Lord. And that was fantastic. And, you know, so I live in Southwest Miami Dade and my dad lives in Miami Shores, about a 35, 40 minute drive with traffic and mailed him a Bible and devotional and all these things. So we just started talking. So we started talking. I worked in Broward County at the time, downtown Fort Lauderdale, which is like a one, one and a half hour commute every day. So one and a half hours going to work, one and a half hours coming home. And my dad and I would talk at least three to four times a week on my drive home. Cause I felt like we were just kind of catch up from the like seven years we didn't talk and and what have you. So we were catching up and, and everything was just wonderful. Everything was wonderful. He was back in my kids' life. So they had their grandpa and they loved him and he loved the kids. And he, you know, he loved his grandkids so much. He would buy them like St. Patrick's Day gifts. Like (laughs) now I will tell you, my dad does have this thing that this family lineage thing that tells him that his surname Wade is, is an Irish name. So I think in his mind, somewhere in his heart of hearts, he felt like he was a little Irish, but he would buy the kids, but he would even buy them like Valentine's Day gifts and, and St. Patrick's Day gifts and 4th of July gifts. And I'm like, I remember him bringing my, uh, the girls once like 4th of July baskets. And I was just like, I didn't, I didn't know this was a thing. I didn't know you can find a basket. He's like, yeah, yeah. I have a friend that makes gifts and whatever, but that's the kind of grandpa he was. and, And I felt even just so blessed that he was able to be a better grandfather to them than he was a father to me, like at my, in those stages when comparing, but, and it was just wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. So fast forward to 2017, that December, he and I were planning because Christmas was um, actually on a Sunday that day. And so I was telling him that, um, that I was going to pick him up, you know, like that Friday, because I worked downtown Miami, which was only going to be then 20 minutes from his house. So I'd pick him up after work. He'll spend the weekend at my house, spend Christmas with the kids and all that good stuff. And we were going back and forth because his best friend was actually here from Jamaica at the time and was staying in Fort Lauderdale. So he's like, he was trying to figure out a way to come see me and the kids, but also to see Patrick. And it was like, no, Trish, do that. And I'm like, dad, I am picking you up 
you're staying at my, I'm not driving to and from Fort Lauderdale. So we were like going back and forth like that. Monday was like that conversation. And then Tuesday I'm at work. We're having our, you know, holiday potluck party. We're having a great time. And about like maybe three in the afternoon, three, four o'clock, we say like, you know, let's, let's, let's pretend like we're going to do some work. Right. So let's do some work <laughs> before, after all this partying and everybody's eating and full. And I went into, into a meeting and I'm sitting there and then I realized I didn't have my cell phone. And it's literally like the spirit was like, get your phone. And I started looking around because I've never really been a person that, that, you know, I don't walk with my phone in my hand or my pocket or anything like that. So, right, if I leave it at home, it's like I'll survive the day without my phone. But I promise you, it was like the spirit just said, like, get your phone. So I remember saying to one of the supervisors, like, oh, listen, y'all do the introductions. I'll be right back. And as I'm walking to my office, I hear my phone ringing and I get in my office and I, I pick up the phone and stop ringing. And then by the time I'm trying to see who called, it starts ringing again. And it's my dad's neighbor because he lived in a condo that was for active older adults. And I had like about three phone numbers of neighbors and the guy upstairs who lived in his building because my dad had a habit of forgetting to charge his cell phone. So he would call me from, you know, one of the friends phone, be like, hey, Trish, I'm, I'm with Lucia. So if, if you call me and I don't answer, call her phone. So, of course, I'm like, well, let me save this number because I might need it. And so when I saw her calling me, I thought it was my dad just calling me from his neighbor's phone, which has happened so many times. So the phone rings and I answer it and I literally answer the phone. I'm like, I said, what now? Because I thought my dad was calling me on Louisa's phone to now give me like another scenario of how how Patrick and I could divide him for the Christmas weekend. <laughs> so I was like, okay, dad, what now? And I just heard someone screaming and crying on the phone. And and I'm just like, hello. And I'm looking, you know, like, did did I see the name I thought I saw? And I look and and, and I'm like just saying hello. And then the person was just screaming and they were crying. And then someone else got on the phone and was like, you know, this Trisha Barrett. I said, yes. And he introduced himself as a detective with Miami-Dade County Police. And he told me that, you know, right, that, that they're at my father's residence and they're there at my dad's residence. And unfortunately, like, you know, that he's been found deceased. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And he was like, right, so we're at the residence of David Wade and he's deceased. And I just, I don't know, because I was like standing in the doorway of my office and, you know, like my chair is like around the desk. So I'm not even sure how I got to the chair. Like, I don't really remember that in my brain, but I just know that from the doorway of my office, I kind of like stumbled back to the desk. And like you said, I just, I just fell. I just fell and like kind of just stumbled like into the chair and just put my head down. And now I'm screaming like Louisa was on the phone. And I remember taking the phone and saying, I'm sorry, are you sure? Like, no. And I was like, no, I'm coming. I'm coming right now. Like I'm coming there right now. And he was like, no, you can't come because unfortunately it's a crime scene because even though he was found at home, they just need to rule out any foul play or what have you. So actually right now it's a crime scene. So you can't, you can't come, you can't come, you can't come in the apartment. Like, but as next of kin, we need to let you know. And I was like, I don't even think you're at the right apartment. So now I'm, you know, now that denial is kicking in, right? So I'm like, I don't even think you're at the right apartment. He was like, no, the, the building manager, the one who found him and his neighbor. So they both ID'd him that said, yes, this is him. We found his ID, his driver's license, passport. That is all him. So visually, we've seen that the person on the ID is the person who we're also seeing. So he's, because that's what I said to him, like, you need me to ID him. You don't even, I don't, you don't even know that you're in the right place. And 
Then he starts telling me all the people who ha- have seen him and who have ID'd him. And, and yeah. And then he just told me that he would call me back. And then the phone hung up and I was just, I just lost it. I completely lost it. And I was crying. And I know my, so my coworkers now, of course, they heard me crying and they came in and people started comforting me. And then, it, yeah. And then it just kind of just spiraled. And I know one of my coworkers who her and I used to take the train together every now and then she got me together and she got my car and she took me to my car. She drove me home. So she drove me home and then like, you know, had her husband come and, and pick her up, you know, from my house or whatever. But, and it was just so surreal. It was so surreal. Like I couldn't believe like that that was happening. And then I had to tell my mom, then I had to tell my kids and, and I had just told them, oh, grandpa's coming for Christmas. And it's, so it was five days before Christmas when he passed away and, and it was just tough. I mean, cause then, you know, Christmas came and we're at church and it's Sunday and everyone's festive and Merry Christmas. And I'm like, eh. I'm trying to <laughs> put on a smile and, and trying to, to be in the moment. But, and then of course, like a couple of days, a couple of days before me, before I get to Christmas. So that Friday, so that Friday, my mom and I were at the gravesite, like the funeral place. And they're driving us around in this, in this golf cart, showing us all the places that we can bury my dad. And they're like, so of course they start you like at the mausoleum. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, yeah, you don't, clearly you don't know my dad because this is not his space <laughs> at all. It's like, so um, if you have like a little ashtray, like that's more my dad's speed, you know? And, um, and I remember just driving in this golf cart and my mom was saying something. And I just remember telling her, this is, this is not supposed to be happening. This is not what we're supposed to be doing for Christmas. We're supposed, I'm so, and I was like, I'm still trying to figure out what I'm supposed to be buying him for Christmas. And like, just for a gift for him. Cause I bought him some stuff for his apartment, but I was like, I wanted to get him like, like a special gift, you know? And I kept telling my mom, she was like, well, it doesn't matter what you get. I'm like, yeah. And I, I don't know why I even felt that, but I really felt like I just wanted to give my dad something sentimental. Cause I had just, again, I had just bought him a couple of things, like some towels and things for his, his apartment. I was like, no, that's not a real Christmas gift. <laughs> but I, I do remember like that Friday thinking like, this is not what I'm supposed, this is not it. This is not what I'm supposed to be doing before Christmas. And, um, and then everything was so rushed because it's Christmas. So the medical examiner is going on vacation until the new year. And so they're, they're not, cause they, they said they had to do an autopsy, but we wouldn't have any results. We wouldn't know why he died, how he died, like until for like weeks and the same thing, the cremation that this, cause he always wanted to be cremated and all these different things. And it was like, and then because, you know, it's the holidays and people are going out of town and on vacation. And I'm just like, right. And I remember thinking that one day too, like, look at this, everyone's just getting on with their life. Even the people that they're in the business of death and funerals and whatever, it, to them, it's just, it's just another day. It's another dead body. And I'm like, and even had to, I even had to say that to the detective on the phone once, because when he called me, because I kept calling him, he didn't call me back until like nine o'clock that night. I'm like, this was three in the afternoon. I'm like, bro, what are you doing for six hours? And when he finally called me back, he was like, oh, well, you need to, then he goes, well, you need to come get the body. And I'm like, I'm sorry, who come? I'm like, what I just mean, my brothers come there and pick it up. Like, what do you mean? Come get the body. And he was like, oh, just have your funeral home come and get, I'm like, bro, like I, I don't have a funeral home, like on retainer. 
Like, you know, I don't have one like on speed dial. And so, but he's, and I said that to him, I was like, you know, you're saying that so nonchalant as if I just bury people every week. I said, sir, my dad died today and I still have yet to even process that because I haven't seen that. You know what I'm saying? I haven't, I, I don't know that he's dead. I just had you keep, you just keep telling me that. And now you're like, oh, come pick up the body as if you're telling me to like, come pick up a bag of something. You know what I mean? It was so, I don't even know, just, just, I guess for them. Yeah. And it was, they're just so detached from it, you know? So I was like, so I had to even ask him, like, can you give me information? Can you help me? Can you tell me? So if I don't have a funeral home to call, like, do you recommend one? Like, you know, help me out here or whatever. And and then, of course, he was a wealth of information. <laughs> but I had to ask for it. And until I had to remind him that that I don't do this every day, I'm like, you may see this every day, but I don't. I don't do this every day. So, like, give me a minute to catch my breath. And give me a, just a moment to figure out the next move. So, and and to this day, and you know, you and I mentioned that when we were talking the other day, like I've never seen my dad's dead body. So I've never seen him deceased because then, right, the uh, cremation company, they went and picked him up from the medical examiner's or coroner's office. And then they did the cremation. And then the next time I saw my dad was in a bag of his ashes and they were like, oh, which urn would you like us to put him in? Like pick an urn and we'll put him in it. And I'm like, and of course, even that went through my mind. How do I even know that's my dad's ashes? You could have literally just picked up some, listen, I'm like, you guys could have like picked up some smut out of your AC vent and been like, oh yeah, here's David. And so it was just really, it's been really surreal. It, It has been, you know, I remember my brother, my younger brother called me once too with that same thought. And he was like, like Trish, like, I think my mind is playing tricks on me. And I knew exactly what he was meaning when he said that. And it was still so, it was like only a few weeks after our dad died. And I was like, bro, I can't help you. I can't talk to you right now. I can't help you. We'll talk later. Because my mind was doing the same thing to me. Cause it was like, is he really dead? Is he even dead? How do I know yeah. he's dead? And I saw him yeah. dead. And it was like, and then I don't even know this detective who's telling me, oh, your dad's dead. I'm like, bro, who are you? I don't even know you, you know? And it was just, so of course you went through that, but like when we went back to his apartment to clean it up and whatever, like everyone, everyone, cause my dad knew everyone. Oh, he would hang out with, like he would invite people to his apartment to watch the heat game and he would cook and he would tell them to bring food and whatever. And he was a social butterfly. You know, I guess that's where I get it from. It's in my DNA from my dad, right? right. So yeah, so when we went, everyone was giving me condolences and I said to myself, well, yeah, well, I guess they know. <laughs> Because like I said, one neighbor, you know, the neighbor and the the building manager did see him. And then the building manager came and spoke to us and told us what he saw when he went into the apartment, why he knew he had to call the police. And But it was tough, man. It's And, and every now and then, every now and then, something triggers you. Right. And that's what we talked about, Trish. And that's right. where we find that this is where being a believer and sharing right. our faith with others and knowing that God, he stretches our faith. And right. we know we're going to see them again. And what right. a blessing that you got to heal your relationship. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? and, right. And so that's where 
joy in mourning. There's right. where your joy is. Absolutely. And then the joys, like we talked about a song that comes on the radio and you start right. to think of your dad. And, mm-hmm. and especially for me, my dad was a big country boy. <laughs> so when I, but I, I, those are just such, that's God's grace saying mm-hmm. it's going to be okay. I got it's you. It's going to be okay. Right. Right. Yeah, and you had that time with him. Right. Just think of you, you not healing your your relationship and right. then that happens. Right. Right. And that was everything. That was everything. That's funny. So so my dad and your dad have that country thing in common because I'll tell you, I remember being maybe around 11, 12 years old. And my dad bought the Kenny Rogers, the Gambler album. That's what my dad looked like. His he resembles. Yeah, yes, 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 I have seen. Yes, I've seen pictures of your dad, and he sure does. He does resemble Kenny right from that album cover. And let me tell you, my dad played that album because he did. He loved music, and I know that's something I take from him as well because he always had music playing in the house. There was times that he would take my mom and just start dancing with her in the living room, or like come dance behind her while she's trying to cook or whatever. But when he bought the Kenny Rogers album, girl, that turned. Listen, that Jamaican got turned all upside down. You would have thought like, oh, this was it. And he played that song. Oh, that album over and over. He, I remember him buying a belt buckle, the Marlboro Man, like belt buckle. Shot. Listen, you could not tell my dad nothing. I was, and I remember that was a joke where my mom would tell him, like, any minute now he's gonna start like square dancing. But yeah, my dad grew this affinity towards country music after a while. But he and I used to listen to Billy Joel when I was younger, and so my dad did not like. American food, like at all. But every now and then, uh, almost like that new song now, the fancy like that new country song where he's like, you know, every now and then I get paid, I got to take my baby for an upgrade. Yeah. So every now and then, <laughs> my dad would get like a bonus or whatever. And to treat the family, he would take us to this little Italian restaurant and my brother and I were allowed to eat pizza, which we couldn't eat pizza in our house. So he would let us take us to the restaurant, we'd eat pizza and he would put that quote in the jukebox and he would play Billy Joel. And there was only two Billy Joel songs in the the jukebox and one was Uptown Girl and the other one was For the Longest Time. And that For the Longest Time, man, that song, that was it. And me and him would dance to that song and kind of just sway back and forth and And that was it. And I just this past, just so this past Christmas, this past December, our younger daughter was home. She now, she just had graduated school this year and she lived in New York. So she was home and, you know, Nigel was here, we're over here by the kitchen. And I don't know, I was telling, oh, I was telling them how I used to work at the stadium, at the Hard Rock Stadium and whatever it was called. Oh, Joe Robbie Stadium is what it was called back then. And I used to sell pizza during the football games, but one night there was a concert and they were like, oh, you can make extra money if you work the concert. And it was during the week and whatever. And um, and I went and worked and it was Billy Joel. And let me tell you, I was blown away because I have only heard Billy Joel in a jukebox. Because it's not like it's not like after I grew up in the teenagers, I was still listening to Billy Joel, like not at all. <laughs> Oh, so I had literally only heard Billy Joel in a jukebox and I am sitting in the stadium and Billy Joel was in concert and going through the night, whatever, I'm selling pizza. But when he started singing for the longest time, Lisa, I, I was think I was 17 years old. And let me tell you, it hit me. I couldn't even walk up the stairs anymore. I had to literally hold my pizza box, my hot pizza box. <laughs> 
and unstrap it and sit down because it just hit me. And that was, and my parents had, had recently had divorced, like maybe a year before. So my dad and I weren't seeing each other as often, you know what I'm saying? So he didn't live there anymore. But that song took me back to being, you know, a little nine-year-old girl swaying with him in this restaurant. And so I was telling the kids that story this past December. And I'm like, I so I tell my little home device, I don't want to say her name because she will come on right now. So I tell my little home device, you know, like, hey, play Billy Joe for the longest time. And she starts playing it and I'm singing. And like almost instinctively, I start swaying the same way I swayed with my dad. Then, of course, the tears came. And I mean, not like, oh, little sniffle. I mean, the downpour. It just came. And Cassandra was in here, like, cooking something. And I just heard her stop. Like, there was no more pans or mixing going on. And Nigel, and I guess they kind of weren't sure what to do because it's like, what mom is really crying and they know and I and I know they know why I'm crying because I just told them you know that my dad that was our song and the song was on so clearly the emotions were kind of overwhelming me and Nigel came and and he hugged me and he went he wiped the tears off my face and I was like no I said don't wipe them I said you let every tear run I said I want every tear to run down my face and drip off my chin and he was like why I said because these tears, this is the love I have for my dad. I'm not crying. You know what I'm saying? Like if I didn't love him, I wouldn't be moved to tears. So I don't want to hide the tears. I don't want to make them go away. I don't want to make them stop. I want to feel that love. I want to embrace that memory. And I told him, I want these tears to drip off of my chin because, and I never want to stop crying. I never want to have those moments to where if I'm talking about my dad, that I get emotional. And sometimes people think that, well, even psychology was about your five stages of grief. And, um, and people always associate grief of being either maybe with a negative connotation or something sad, like grief was a sadness. And there could be joy in grief. There's gratitude in that grief because in that moment that I might be feeling grieving that my dad is not physically here with me, but I have that memory of dancing to Billy Joel with my dad and death can't take that away. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Death right. cannot take away that. Death can't take away the instinct of that little sway that I had going on because this was how me and my dad swayed to Billy Joel death can't take that away. So even though, yes, I miss him, I might have grief and tears. I told my, and I, and I thought it was such a good teachable moment for my kids for how they should deal with grief in their life. Not just maybe in losing their grandpa, but just whatever they come down the road, whatever grief they may have to do. Cause you know, we talk to our kids all the time that dad and I won't be here one day. There's things that we try to teach them and tell them and prepare them for because we tell them we may not be here one day. So I want that if I'm not here one day with my kids, I don't want them to, I want you to cry for me every day. You go ahead, you cry, you feel it because if if there's no tears, then there was no love. And that's just, and, and I, I know I told you guys at the beginning that I'm a clinical, you know, social worker. I'm not telling you that this is some Freudian philosophical thing. I'm telling you that's what life has taught me. That's what losing my dad has taught me. That's what is grieving and mourning his death. That's what it has taught me. I don't want to ever stop crying for my dad because I'm going to never stop loving him. I'm going to never stop 
being thankful to God for the time that we have. And not just the time, of course, of being a little girl or whatever, because some of those times are tough, but I'm glad for the time that was redeemed. I'm, you know what I'm saying? For, and then for me to be able to say, I remember being at his memorial service and I said to everyone, I'm like, do you guys even get it? I had the privilege of saying to my dad, okay, it's great. You want to turn over a new leaf. You don't want to drink anymore. You don't want to this. You want forgiveness. But what are you going to do about Jesus? What are you going to do about, because, you know, my dad grew up in church. So the, the idea of Jesus and God and salvation wasn't anything lost of him. I mean, he was baptized as a teenager, but of course, you know, just made some different choices. But then, Lord, dad, what are you going to do about Jesus? I'm like, you want forgiveness from me, but it's not from me. It's from him. Go to God, seek forgiveness from him. Tell him that you're going to give your life back to him. I mean, and we prayed on the phone. And I'm like, Lisa, death cannot oh take that yeah. moment yeah. away from me. And so then, of course, when I went from the crying to then thinking about him and that and telling the kids, then then there was the smile. Even like I'm telling you now, like, here's the smile on my face that in the midst of the grief, there's the joy. Because I know that not only about me seeing him again, which, you know, is promised to us as believers in Christ, but that he will be with Christ forever. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because, yeah, like, yeah, great that we'll see him again, but but he's in the place where he can be seen again. And that he had that, his relationship with Christ restored. And it just, and that, and God allowed me to play a part in that girl. I'm like, yeah, there's, there's no sadness in my grief. And, and I know that doesn't, that doesn't make sense in the general scheme of life. Because again, when we think of grief, it's like grief means sadness. It, it's, you know, then you have the five stages of denial and anger. And it's not that I've just accepted that he's dead, which I kid you not, it's been, what, four years. And every now and then I'm picking up my phone to call my dad. <laughs> oh, yeah. Every now and then I literally, I'm like, oh my God, does he, I wonder if he saw this on the news. Cause we would talk current events, like nobody's business. And sometimes the minute I touch the phone, I'm like, nobody's going to answer. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody's going to answer. Well, and I actually still have his old cell phone. Like, so I'm like, yeah, I'll answer his, the phone myself, but, but yeah. yeah so, well, in there too, Trish, you know, it's, Grief, you never get over it. You just go through it. Right. And I think most people, you have to go through it. Absolutely. And, it, and even, you know, I've lost now three of the most influential men in my life. Right. And it, it was just very hard. And still to this day, I, oh, I'm always shedding a tear. It's happy. It's joy. And that's right. why I love these stories that we're going to be producing for our listeners because we have to find the joy in the morning and, absolutely. and get it out. Don't leave right. it inside. Right. You know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, and, and just talk about it. Cause like I said, I mean, you know, talking with my kids and being able to do that. And my mom did, I would say actually did the same for me because I probably was about 11 years old when my great grandmother died and we had brought her up here from Jamaica when she was, when her health started declining. And so I spent so many days with her when we lived, you know, we would be in Maryland actually before I, before we moved here. So I might've been like maybe 10. So, cause it was before we moved to Miami and then, you know, we would go and see her. And so I really got a chance to, to get to know her as I was older. Cause you know, I used to be there when I was like three and four, but now like nine, 10, 11 years old, I was in charge of giving her her medication in the evenings. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. So, and then she had like, I don't know, like a dozen pills. And, you know, my mom taught me like, you know, like give her one at a time and talk to her in between to make sure she's swallowing them. 
So that was the thing. So I'd have to like give her a pill, give her some water, have some conversation, give her a pill, give her water, have some conversation. But in that, right. So we weren't just making small talk. We were like talking about just life and what was going on with me and school and this. And she would give me her proverbs and all these different things. And so when she died, I mean, my mom walked me through that like really good. And her funeral was actually in England and I couldn't go, but my mom brought back pictures And I know it may sound a little creepy to some people, but my mom brought back pictures and she showed me pictures of my great grandmother in her casket. And she was like, you remember this dress? Because when she really, her health really started to decline, she told us that. She told us that she didn't think she was going to live much longer and she wanted to go back to England. So, cause that's where she was, that's where she was born and she then lived in Jamaica, but she was actually born in England. And she said, I want to be buried. I want to end it where I started. So, and my grandmother lives in England and a couple of my other aunts. And so she went back to England and my mom, but there was a, a dress that she had, this blue dress that when she was here, like sometimes she just want to put it on because she just said she just wanted to feel pretty and she would put on her favorite blue dress. And then that's what they buried her in. So my mom was like, look, you know, we buried her in the dress and this, and she like just talked me through the whole thing. She told me about the funeral, you know, us not being there and we saw the pictures and this. And I mean, so it, so death wasn't something in my family that we, like we, shied away from or what have you and my mom I mean and there was time my mom would be cooking and crying and and I'm like mom are you okay she was like yep I just feel like crying and we'll just be like okay and and we didn't think it was weird because again you know her grandmother died and and for my mom her grandmother was like a mom to her she spent more time with her grandmother than her than her mom growing up so to her it was like losing her mom so parents if you know that are listening it's like don't be afraid to let your kids go to a funeral of a family member or a good family friend. Don't be afraid to talk to them about the fact that you may not be here with them their whole life or whatever. And of course, make it age appropriate. Like I said, I think I was about like 11 when my great grandmother died. And, and, you know, but my mom and I had those conversations and the pictures and the this and the what have you. So, so I, I definitely think that that factored in, you know, just like later on for me, like, again, that death wasn't this, this elusive thing that it's like, oh, and then of course it wasn't too that, oh, you know, you died and you just went to heaven again, because we're Christians, we're believers. We know that if you want eternal life, Jesus Christ has to be your savior. You know what I'm saying? Like that was right. a thing. Now I will say we have never been like, oh, so-and-so is burning in hell right now. Like, you know, we've never been those right. kind of that callous or anything like that. But again, just being honest, just speaking the truth about life and death and God's plan for it. And the way that God says, right, that we know that we'll all be together in glory for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. So just being truthful and open about it, but, and then also in the gratitude, because I think sometimes the enemy wants us to focus maybe on the time that we don't have right now. So like, right, for the last four years, my dad hasn't been here. But like I said, I mean, are you kidding me? Like the enemy, the enemy death, nothing can take away the memories. And then the gratitude that I have for the time that not only the time that I had just him growing up, but even more so. And it was probably only, I want to tell you, maybe only three years. It was probably on the last, you know, three years before he died that it was, that was that redeemed time that Lisa, it far exceeds my entire childhood. Right. It far, you know what I'm saying? It far exceeds my entire childhood because for the first time 
my dad and I were were both spiritually minded that we were talking about things from a spiritual perspective, not just worldly views and whatever. And that was the first time that that was a thing. Because even though, right, even as a teenager, I was still going to church or whatever. I, like I said, because of alcohol, my dad stopped going and all these different things. But so those three years of us reconciling, that that was just better, like I said, than my whole entire childhood. And I must have been like, I don't know, at least 40. So, <laughs> or my whole life. So, so it's good. But yeah, but there, there's definitely joy in the midst of that grief because you can have gratitude. You can have gratitude for the time that you did have because no one's promised tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? And no one's promised 20, 50, 70 years. Be grateful for the time that you have and the memories that you have and that you share. Yeah. Wow. I know that that is just so awesome. Okay. So Trish, there's also, I would like for you to share with our listeners because this was such a a hard time and, and, and I just, I can't even imagine, but you went through third stage breast cancer Mm -hmm. and you shared with me and I was just so taken by, didn't even think about even like losing one of your breasts. And I felt Mm -hmm. like that you grieved that. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I thought, wow, that's just something I would love for my listeners to hear your story on that. Right. No. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, that's a, oh, okay. Let me, so, right. So my dad passes away in December and then, you know, so December, I think it was 2016. I might've said 2017 before, but you guys, that's talk it up to my old age but so it was December 2016 that my dad passed away because then January 2017 is when we had his memorial service and and I was so I was just grieving I was just grieving and I'm one of those women that you know always took care of myself like you mentioned I was a Mary Kay sales director consultant when we met and you know so taking care of my skin my face I did my face mask every Sunday I was hashtag self-care before it was a thing like I am doing all of that, my oil pulling, my microdermabrasion scrub. And so these are all things I did. And I did my monthly self-breast exam because my mom is a breast cancer survivor. So she was diagnosed when I was like maybe 30 years old. And so for the last, you know, 10 years, I've always gotten a mammogram every year because, you know, my mom had breast cancer. And I also did my monthly self-exams. And, but now of course, I'm in this, this funk of my, my dad passing away of a heart attack suddenly he wasn't sick he just passed away that now I'm not taking care of myself so now I'm not doing the self-care I'm not doing the face mask I'm not doing the microdermabrasion I'm not checking my breasts and seven months later I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer and it was like of course (laughs) of course right but it was one of those things where I, I turned that corner to say okay, I have to get over this. I have to get, you know, like out of this funk. And when I went to now start doing the self exams is when I felt that lump and, and it was tough. So I was diagnosed in July of 2017. I started chemo about three weeks later in August. And I actually pushed the chemo back a week because my family and I had actually had a vacation planned already to Universal and Islands of Adventure, which are my favorite places to be in the whole world. I know, listen, some wives may want their husbands to take them to Paris and to and Australia or Amsterdam. Girl, take your girl, listen, take your girl to Universal. 
Islands of Adventure, Harry Potter Island, give me some frosted butterbeer and we're good. Like, we're good. So I we had this vacation planned and I was like, yeah, I, I'm not going to not do my vacation to start chemo. Like, the cancer's not going to kill me today. Let me have one big, like, hoo-ha before it all goes south. And, and so that's what we did. So I pushed it back and I literally started... I started chemotherapy the day after my 42nd birthday. So, so I went through chemo and the goal was to shrink the tumor small enough that we could just remove the tumor and save the breast. So that was the goal of doing um, chemo. I did chemo for six months. Four months were not that big of a deal. The last, the last few months, I thought it was going to kill me. And I actually did pray one day and just tell, tell God, I'm like, Lord, just, just, just let it end. Just let it end. It'll be so much easier. No more pain. No for suffering. Bring your girl home. Like, bring me home. <laughs> and I guess she was like, yeah, now, girl, I'm not done. You're not done. You still got stuff to do. And here we are, right? Doing some things. So we went through that. So then when I finished chemo, the, the tumor, I mean, responded really well. And it went from the size of a lemon when I started down to the size of a grape. So it shrunk a lot and I was super excited thinking, right, I get to save the breast, take out the lump. But there was a lot of what they call calcification in my breast tissue and in my, like right even in the skin under my nipple. And calcified tissue has a very high probability of turning into cancer and especially in someone that just had cancer. So when, so we had to remove the breast. So I chose to have a unilateral mastectomy which means I only removed the one breast that had the tumor in it. And then I had to do radiation because they thought there might be microscopic cancer cells still like maybe my chest wall because the tumor did break off and go into the lymph nodes under my arms. So I had about like 15 of my lymph nodes removed and 12 of them were cancerous. So they wanted to do radiation as well. So after the mastectomy, we put in an implant to just kind of hold my skin in place, almost like a, like a, like a placeholder because, you know, radiation, it burns your skin. And so if I had nothing there, the skin may burn too much and not work well for reconstruction. So we put an implant in and I currently wear a prosthetic. So I wear a fake boob to put in, you know, I put it in my bra and it helps to balance out my natural and my artificial. And it was tough though. So I didn't, you know, it's just one of those things like when you're in it, you're just going through it, right? And you keep hearing all those slogans, fight like a girl, you're in the fight. And you're thinking, okay, I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight. And which is so unbiblical. I'm just going to put that little asterisk there. Jesus never tells us to, for us to go fight our own fights. The Bible tells us that the battle is the Lord's, that he will fight for you. So this whole slogan of like, fight like a girl and whatever, I'm like, it, it took me a minute to really realize that's not the way I want to fight. It tells us that in our weakness is where the strength of God comes in. That's where that strength, where, where that Holy Spirit power comes from is in our weaknesses and his grace is sufficient for us. So I just decided like, yeah, I'm not fighting like anybody. <laughs> Jesus, I am laying here and you're going to have to come get your girl. When you're ready for me to move, I'll move. When you say stay still, I'm going to stay still. When you say speak, I'll speak. When you say shut up, you, I'm not saying anything. You know what I'm saying? So I had to, to really realize that through all of it, it wasn't me. It's him. And I'm going to glorify him through this and, and get to wherever it is that he's leading. So, but I have my prosthetic and it, it's what makes me look normal, quote unquote, right? So I look normal. But one day I was going to a meeting at the church to meet with um, someone about a community project, you know, I'm a social worker. 
they asked me to come and talk about some stuff for a community outreach. I think it what it was. And I was like, yeah, I'll come. And so I'm going to this meeting and I go into the bathroom before the meeting to freshen up or what have you. And I realized that I forgot to put my prosthetic in. So I'm completely lopsided. So I have my, my natural breast that's like a C, D cup and this A cup implant that, and now I'm, I'm freaking out. I was literally, I started hyperventilating. I'm having like an anxiety attack. I call my husband who was actually in Jamaica at the time and I'm WhatsApp calling him and, and telling him just what's happening. And then of course I felt guilty that I was even fooling this way about my breasts. And he was like, babe, God made you with two. It's like you wanting to be whole and have two breasts is not vanity because it's the way God made you. So, you know, so don't feel bad. And I mean, you're at church, you're with people who love you. They all know what you've been through and it's no big deal, but, but, and I didn't realize it. I didn't realize it until that moment that I missed my breasts. And, and I had to make a conscious decision. And I remember saying this in, in a support group to have a funeral for my breasts because it's gone and, and it's not coming back. This implant will never be my natural breast. The, the prosthetic will never be. I have a reconstruction surgery to do where they, you know, they call the deep flat where they take your abdominal tissue and fat and skin and they, they make a breast for you, you know, from your own body material, which is fantastic, right? But it's still not the breast I was born with. And it's crazy. So I, I literally had to have a moment of silence, a time for my breast. And I remember standing, you know, just shirtless in front of my, my bathroom mirror and just looking at the scars. I still have discoloration on my skin from the burns of radiation and just what it is. And just really go through those five stages of grief about it because I, don't, I can't really say that. I, and again, I never really felt anything because I was like in the midst of it. I'm, I'm trying to get treatment. I got to go for labs. I got to go for chemo. I got to go for the, and, and I was working and I'm doing this and I got to go. Some days I went downtown. Some days I went to Kendall, it, you know, some, so in the midst of it, there was no time to step away from it. So when I had the opportunity to really step away from it and process what has happened, what I've lost, feel what I'm feeling about it, be upset that I even have to wear a prosthetic and an artificial, um, you know, breast and, and just whatever I felt and whatever I thought to, to fully be in it. And so, so that took a moment. And so now I would say, you know, cause this was probably like maybe two years ago, but the other day, like a couple months ago, Bobby and I were going somewhere. I think we we're going out to dinner or no, to breakfast. We we're going to breakfast. And again, I realized I didn't put the prosthetic in. And Bobby was like, how can you forget that? This has been like two years now you've been, I'm like, I don't know. And we were going and he was like, do you want me to turn back and go home? And I was like, nope, we are going to eat and it'll be fine. You know what I'm saying? So now that I've, I've gone through the grief of that, now that I dealt with it, accepted it, went through everything about it. Now it's like, it's not even a big deal. I went to pick up Chinese food the other day too. The same thing. And I was like, because wow. I had, I was downstairs. And I'm like, I'd have to go upstairs, get the special bra, put it in, put it on to go. I'm like, I'm just going for Chinese food. It'll be all right. Right. Where two years ago, girl, you could have picked me up off the floor for me to not have my prosthetic in. I was so self-conscious. And, and just felt all these emotions about it that again, until that day that that happened, I didn't even know I felt that. I didn't even right. know, I didn't, I didn't even have any feeling about it because again, it was just 
you know, it's almost like if the doctor says like he has to put on braces, like, okay, like you have, you have bad teeth, you put on braces, you just do it. And it was like, okay, this is what you do when you go through cancer, you know, through breast cancer, you put on this or you do that. And until that day actually happened, I didn't even know I had feelings about it, but yeah, but I, I definitely, I had to consciously take the time to grieve losing my breast. Wow. I had to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Trish, for sharing that. So courageous. And you know what? And that's where we're weak. He is strong. And, yes, man. And he has been with you and through you through all of this and, and holding your hand. And what a comfort. You know, he's our comforter. And I just I just hats off to you, Trish, because honestly, I just I I get so moved with your story. And I'm just so honored to be your friend. And I'm oh, just yeah. I thank you for <laughs> sharing with our listeners your authentic mm -hmm. way of how you've come through and found the joy in what you're going through. And I think that's just yeah. so, so important for our listeners mm -hmm. and anyone out there, you know, that may be going through this. We hope that this is an encouraging podcast for you to listen to. It's been my mm -hmm. honor to bring you, to bring you these stories and bring them to light, to give you hope because we do have hope in Jesus, you know? Amen. So Trish, thank you so much for being on. I love you. And I I'll love be down you in too. Miami. <laughs> Girl, come scoop me up. Come yeah, right? scoop me up so we can get together and hang out. Yeah, so thank you for our listeners. Thank you for joining us. I, I hope everybody has a blessed day and God bless you all. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share so together we can encourage and inspire others. Like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, joy underscore in underscore morning.